1: Let's mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now,
0: your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder,
1: Rob Moore. Hello and welcome back to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest, heavyweight billionaire and investor, Stephen Lansdowne. So Steve Lansdowne is the co-founder of Hargreaves and Lansdowne, which is without a doubt one of the behemoths in the financial services industry, not just in the UK, but in the world. And that is a great story behind this business. So Steve uh, teamed up with his uh, business partner, Peter Hargreaves, and Steve was just an accountant. He wanted to start and scale and grow his own business. He wanted to do his own thing. So he teamed up with his business partner and they started from the bedroom and they grew and scaled their business to the billionaire boardroom and founded one of the largest FTSE 100 companies in uk existence it really is inspirational stuff and steve reveals all in this interview there is so much great uh, business advice from the mind and the mindset of a real behemoth a billionaire someone with decades of experience investing and obviously going through the times that we're going through People like Steve, their knowledge is absolutely invaluable. But Steve also talks about the other things outside of business. He talked about why he bought Bristol FC and he talks about um, some of the finer things in life he's indulged in, like buying a yacht. Really funny story. So if you want to watch the video to this interview, along with all our other interviews, head over to YouTube, search for Rob Moore and subscribe. So let's just get straight into the interview with heavyweight billionaire Stephen Lansdowne. But remember... If you don't risk anything, you risk everything.
0: Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur live stream. So it's a real pleasure today to welcome Stephen Lansdowne to the Disruptive Entrepreneur. Stephen, thanks a lot for being on the show. It's a pleasure, So I've actually been using the Hargreaves Lansdowne app For as long as I've been investing, which has probably been 14 years, maybe. Um, And for those people that don't know uh, Stephen, it's Stephen Lansdowne, who um, co-founded with Peter Hargreaves, Hargreaves Lansdowne. And I'm going to come to your journey um, in a moment, Stephen. But something I've personally been fascinated by, because entrepreneurs come to me all the time. Hey, Rob, I want to start an app. I could get an app built for three grand, and I always think of you and Peter, because that Hargreaves Lansdowne app is fantastic. It's uh, intuitive. It definitely looks very complicated, and I've always figured there must have been hundreds of millions of pounds and time and resource gone into creating such a good, user-friendly, secure um, app. But of course, I now have the man here to ask that question, so... (laughs) developing that platform and then ultimately that app, did that take a lot of time, money, resources? Could you kind of let us in on that? Well, there's no real secret to it other than it was a lot of hard work
2: and it took a lot of time. So, you know, we started in 1981. myself, so that's when we set out as Harvey Sandstone. Um, and our, our app was this, really. A piece of paper and a pen. <laughs> um, and everything that uh, we did over the years was... Basically, looking at how we wanted to um, organise our own portfolios, to be honest, um, you know what we needed to to monitor what was happening in the, in the portfolios, um, the information that we required to make an investment, uh, and we gradually just applied that to our dealings with our clients and uh, built up the back office uh, to accommodate it. So. When anybody asked me the question about how we stand so i play it down a little bit it's obviously a huge operation now but it's really just a good back office system and it looked after the investment as well and the app has been a, just a, a modern version of what we used to do back in 1981 which is make sure we reconciled everything make sure we knew what we had for clients make sure we knew you know what recommendations we could make to them and and, and work for them so it really was a question of building it up over a period of time and, you know, using the modern uh, technology when it
0: came about. Bearing in mind, when we started in 1981,
2: the apps weren't even thought about mm.
0: And was it a case like, I suppose, Apple do with their software updates? Was it a continual update and improvement of the systems?
2: Yeah, I mean, what happened was, I mean,
0: fast forward from 1981
2: to sort of 1991, and um, the investment markets were, you know, we're going into the privatization privatization movement at that time, um, and we wanted to be stockbrokers. brokers um, and to cut a long story short, we ended up forming like our own stock brokers and looking for a stockbroker program. And we discovered a, a, a small firm in Dublin called Boca Focus, um, who were doing some work for Barclays stock at the time, um, and uh, we wrote on the back of that for our, our program, our dealing program. Um, and again, as things would happen, the, the, the company got into trouble uh, um, and we ended up acquiring it and acquiring our source codes and started developing in-house from that moment forward. And actually all the um, investments, for the majority of the investments in later years has changed a bit, but the majority of the investment has been built up in-house we've, um, and we've expensed it through our salary, through our payroll. So I can't give you a figure of how much it costs because it's all built into the uh, uh, piano account of how much it's over a period of time. So it's, it's now some of it's been capitalized. So if I look at the manager, I can find it for you. But the reality was that every year we decided what we needed to do, and got it developed, made for it as we went. Because both Peter and I have been uh, uh, of the year well, we don't like that. So the company has been built up
0: on organic growth and no debt. Uh, so we pay as we go. OK, thank you. Um, sorry, I've just had an idea for another question here, so we'll come back to that. Uh, so just for people who maybe don't know, could you give us some numbers on the, the scale of Hargreaves Lansdowne? You know, what its rough turnover is now, how many users it has, because it's a big operation, isn't it? Well,
2: it is. And uh,
0: I've got to just make a little confession you know. Of course, I've been out of the company for
2: a few years um, doing other things. I'll happily talk about, um, but no, it's it, it's 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 a FTSE one hundred company. It's um, uh, the turnover is, but to be some I'm I'm not going to quote them. Um, but it's hundreds of million. Um, uh, the number of clients is about 1.2, 1.3 million active clients on, on the platform, and that's the way the business runs. It, uh, it it recruits clients in through its marketing and 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 expertise. Um, and then bringing the clients in, it brings assets under administration onto that program, for which it uh, takes a fee. Um, provides good information to those clients, so they can make their decisions how do they how they want to invest. Um, and, um, and and services it very well. So you know the, the old saying, as I used to say, you can pick up the phone, and make a deal, or you can do it on the app, or you can uh, actually send it in by post. I don't think we'd be able to send it in by post too often these days, but. Uh, uh, that's the,
0: that's the way it works. It's, it's make, it making it easy for people to deal. That's, that's, that's the basis of the business. Yeah. OK, so we're going to come back to that later, because like you said, there's um, a lot more to what you do now than Hargreaves Lansdowne. But I'm fascinated to go back to the start of your entrepreneurial journey. My listeners love an entrepreneurial journey and story. Um, you said you started in 81. I was two then. So I'm going <laughs> to take some notes here. <laughs> Um, but take us back to the start of your entrepreneurial journey, even before Hargreaves lands down, and just take us with you and tell us sort of where it all started and how it grew, if you don't mind.
2: No, i at all. no, I mean, I... <laughs> let me take you back to when I was 16, which is even longer ago than that, um, uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career. Um, and we used to have uh, careers conferences at the Tongue Grammar School, where I went to school. And I knew that if I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to do, I'd be directed towards the police force or the army or something which I just wasn't interested in. And uh, so I asked one of my uncles, who was a school teacher, I mean, he said, well, he said, Well, what are you good at? And I said, Well, I'm okay at maths. He said, Well, you could be, there's accountancy. And I said, Well, that'd do. And off I went and I, I eventually qualified as a chartered accountant. And it's probably one of the best moves I've made. The qualification uh, opens doors for you. Um, but it also gives you a good experience so in 1979 I saw an, av- uh, an advertisement in, in, in accountancy age for uh, a, a, a young accountants um, and uh, both Peter and I applied for the position um, and we got in there uh, and it was for, to go into the investment voting market uh, it didn't work uh, but we learnt a lot over 18 months and so we ended up setting up in Peter's front bedroom as the story goes uh, which is in a cottage in Clifton in Bristol Um, and we screwed around and used used what savings we had to buy some dictation equipment so we could write people dictated reports and uh, letters and so on. Uh, We took our secretary on a part-time basis from the uh, Beavis business um, to come in and work for us and we set up with a couple of telephones and a telephone line some dictation equipment and a, and a, a beat-up boat typewriter for the for, for secretary to do the letters on. Um, and then we, we we started going out to accountants and solicitors from there and we worked on the basis that one of us would be in the office all the time. Uh, so one of us would go out on odd days and the other would go out on even days and we'd canvas for business. And the reason we wanted to be in the office is if anybody called, whether it's a client and as time went on, it was uh, maybe a journalist, but um, There's always somebody there. There's always a Harvey or a Lansdowne to talk. To them. And uh, and it was just we we started from there. We had a, we had we carried on doing what we we're doing, which was uh, advising uh, clients of accountants and sisters Peter was very keen on going direct to clients and, and using newspaper advertising at the time. You've got to remember, we're talking
1: 1981
2: pre Financial Services Act, uh, and, and and so it was it was a lot easier to get on do things then. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, that's what we do. And, and, the, and the best story I can give you is not long after we started, it was the uh, the royal wedding of uh, Charles and Lana at the time. <laughs> that's how far we are going back. Um, and we sat in his fun, little square front garden, stuffing envelopes, sending out uh, investment recommendations to clients to see what, uh, what we could get back in. So that's where it all started, and we just built it from there, really. Um, We've had, we had some fun, but probably had the funniest moments, you know, utilizing his front bedroom as of our office and developing our business. We moved out of there after about nine months and uh, found a smaller office, um, took on a couple of extra staff. We just kept going uh, year on year. And uh, we had a conversation one day where we said to each other, well, we can either stay as we are because we're doing quite nicely. Uh, this is after a couple of years. Um, or we can get bigger. And uh, I said to Peter, well, look, I'm too young to think about just like a family sister. Um, believe it or not, I was young once, and, um, uh, and I said, "You know, I, let's let's get bigger." But really, I want to be the best. And we t- that was our sort of uh, motto between ourselves that we, we would build the business, and we would look to be the best in the business. And that's how we continued growing the business. After that, we we, uh, we didn't take any real earnings out of the business for ten years. We just took enough to, to, to cover uh, our costs. And we just played everything back into the business, which I think as entrepreneurs, you have to do. You know, you people think you can you can start up tomorrow and you start making a fortune. But it doesn't work that well. way. You've got to build it up. You do have to invest back into your business. And that's what we kept doing. We we, we kept investing back into systems, and that's how the focus uh, arrangement came along. And and the, the basis of what Argus Lancer has today is its systems. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 well, it was a very magical journey. Um, some heartaches along the way. Nineteen eighty-seven stock market crash being the first. That was a, an experience. You learn by these experiences, and uh, uh, you know, we've, we always found because we weren't, we didn't have that exposure that we were never overexposed as a business, um, and, and, and uh, would see these as opportunities rather than uh, disasters.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, so, if you look on Wikipedia, which I always take with a pinch of salt, which is why I like to ask my guests. Um, depending on the source, it values your net worth between $1.7 and $2.2 billion. So we'll come to that in a moment. But going from in a bedroom with a business partner in 1981, did you ever imagine your business and your own net worth would be the size that it is? Was it a focus for yours? Um, yeah, because, I mean, that's mind-bendingly large numbers. Yeah.
2: I don't think you could never say that you you had that vision to get to that size, Um, maybe that that hope, that dream. Um, I think we went about it, in in my perspective anyway, it was really more a question of we did the right thing at the right times. Uh, We did the right thing by our clients, particularly. Um, And um, we kept our feet well and firmly on the ground to make sure that we didn't overextend the business. I mean, we saw a lot of people at that time who came in, made a bit of money very quickly, bought a new car, uh, on a higher purchase and so on and suddenly we're you know, a couple of months later out of business so w- what we did do though is that we focused on our competition so you know i go back to there's a company called we just bumped out for that time and then we have fidelity come into the uh, get, uh, international come into the marketplace we set our sights on being, on being better than them in the market so we looked at our competitors and we looked to get to be better than both in football, you know, if you finish above so and so, you're gonna you're gonna get promoted, or you're gonna win the league. Um, and um, so we kept looking at where, we, uh, and we looked at what they did, and found out what they did, and looked to do it better. Um, and in some cases, not to do what they were doing at all, because you know, as a big company, sometimes we the, um, yeah. the, the the approach is the wrong way. Because we were a small growing company, and that gave us
0: an answer to the marketplace really. for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anythings. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one but I don't think you will. So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. So from my research again, you know, you can correct me, but it looks like you sold sh- some of your shares in Hargreaves Lansdowne on three or four occasions over the last decade or so um, until your um, full exit. So can you talk us about that? Why did you sell shares at different times and when did you exit and why did you exit?
2: Well, the... the, the um... Yeah, there. But the We had a couple of um, uh, occasions when we were looking at how we were going to take the business forward as as when we were a private company, and uh, I thought that we needed to go onto the stock market um, in order to do that. Actually, we looked at it in three ways. We looked at, I, in, in in any business, you've got three three, three ways out of it. You can mm. you can sell it to a competitor, you can float it on the market, or you can uh, sell it on to management. Um, and we thought to get the best value, we would, we would go to the stock market. In order to do that, we needed to uh, provide incentives for people coming in to work with us. So I sold a few shares when we were still a private company um, in order to do that. But when we got onto the market, it was just a question of um, uh, straightforward
1: national planning.
2: You know, having all your eggs in one basket is uh, the, the thing you always advise your clients not to do. Um, and as Hargreaves Lands then became more and more successful and the share price moved up, it made sense to take some money off the table on a regular basis. When I stepped down from Hargreaves land, then, which is now almost um, eight years ago, um, um, I, I, I obviously thought at that time I didn't want to be totally reliant on a company I was 100% involved in uh, going forward. Big company though it still is. Um, I didn't want to um, be over, overexposed. And I had other investments and, and, and things I wanted to look at doing as well. And uh, so that's that's that was the reason for taking the money off the table. It's pretty straightforward financial planning. Taking the advice I would be giving
0: other people. Okay, so let's move on then beyond um, Hargreaves Lansdowne and um, your exit and your other investments. I know you're um, uh, there's some people watching live actually who um, are giving thanks for what you've done for um, Bristol, various clubs. So yeah, where else have you invested, and what do you do now, and um, um, your involvements with Bristol?
2: My involvement with Bristol is mainly uh, with the sports clubs: um, Bristol City Football Club and the Bristol Bears Rugby, and okay. stuff like basketball. And um, back in about two thousand, I went across to—I mean, I got involved with them when, when I was still involved in Hargis and. Uh, it was a good balance, actually, because hargis Landstein was always cash-rich. They it, it, it threw off cash. It was a great business to, uh, to be involved with. Uh, whereas uh, football clubs and so on, all they do is incur debt. Um, and, and uh, you know, you're struggling to pay the wages from one week to the next. So it was another experience of life which I hadn't experienced at hargis Um But uh, what, what I couldn't ever see a way of getting the clubs into what I would call the big time um yes you, there's always a chance of get a promotion to the premier league but it's long shot you know, for, for most football so I, I was in barcelona i went to the uh, new camp um there to just to look at the, the museum and the trophies and everything else and realized that barcelona wasn't just football it was basketball it was water polo it was other sports i was actually thought from, from from a Bristol perspective, that's what Bristol should be doing. So that's why I formed Bristol Sport um, and incorporated the clubs a commercial banner. Because um, it allows the clubs to promote Bristol as a city and the area, and therefore encourages Bristol itself to support the clubs. And that combination seems to work very well over the period. Um, and, you know, we haven't made the premiership yet as far as Bristol Football Club is concerned, I'm still hopeful. Um, the Bristol Bears are in the premiership and they've won the first European trophy this year so that, that's all good there. But basically the sport is exciting, it's, it's fantastic for the community, we have a lot of community work in the city. Um, and uh, so we have the Bristol Sport Foundation and the, and the Football uh, City Foundation and the Bears Foundation all working within the communities doing the food parcels and things at the moment to, uh, through Covid and so on. That just gives me so much pride and, and passion. We're putting something back into the city and, and the people that support the football club so it, it's a it's a it's a win-win situation there but i have to say it does cost an awful lot of money and that's where a lot of my investments has gone
0: <laughs> over the, over the last
2: uh, 10 years or so
0: and how is running sports clubs different from running your more traditional businesses and, and what has it taught you that maybe running hargreaves lansdowne didn't
2: it's far more open. Um, you know, you've got football supporters and, uh, and, and media as well. They're, they're looking for every opportunity for a story. They want everybody wants to know the, the, the latest tip of information before anybody else. And, and now with social media, they want to get it out quicker. Um, so you can't do anything quietly. So you know, as we built Harveys' landscape, particularly before we became a public company, public company, you can make a decision. You can make a long-term decision. Nobody else would really know about it, other than you. Um, and then you could, you would work towards that, um, and rough uh, of the smooth as you go. With with sport, you just can't do that. You're in the limelight like, every minute of every day, and, and that does, you know, it does cloud your judgment sometimes because you it's, it's an emotional business. Um, but in, in general terms, the principle is the same. You know, you are looking to generate you know, revenue. You're looking to keep your company under control. Therefore, you you want your revenue to rise quicker than your costs, and you need the, the gap a wider in between. Um, and that's where football and a sport generally finds it difficult because there's too many people in the same marketplace, and uh, so not everybody can be successful. And this football, in particular, is just uh, is, is in that. I wouldn't call it a sweet spot, but it's in that spot where people come and do lots of it, um, coming because it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to perhaps um, market your other businesses, um, but it does, it's not a great option uh, uh, until you get to the day top. Okay,
0: thank you. So um, I understand you have a CBE. I,
2: I do, thank you. Mm. So, yeah, very bad uh, moment.
0: That is. Yeah. And I would love to hear about the moment when you found out. Was it a surprise? Had you been tipped off? How did you find out and how did you feel?
2: I hadn't been tipped off, um, and um, the letter arrived, and I opened it, and, uh, and I thought, oh. I actually said to my wife, I i 'I'm not sure I want to accept this,' <laughs> um, because I felt that uh, I don't, I don't necessarily seek the limelight. Um, it sounds strange to be in charge of football clubs and rugby clubs these days, but it wasn't something that I was particularly, uh, you know." I thought I I I'd done a good job and well with it. Um, it wasn't something I necessarily needed to, to do, but and my wife put me right very quickly and said, You will. I won't say what she actually said because she swore at me. It's one of the few times she has sworn at me. Um, but she said, You will take it because it, it reflects all the effort everybody else has put in around you. Um, and actually, you deserve it. I'm, I was quite flattered by it. But I, I must have, you know it was the right thing to do um, accepting it and it, it was a very proud day of Buckingham balance going up there meeting the Queen um being presented with in the middle and again it does everybody around you was so proud of the fact that it you know I received it that uh, that made it all worthwhile as well so um yeah it's very flattering and it was for, for services to business and the community in Bristol um and I think uh uh, testimony to, you know, what Hargis has done over the years and, you know, what the Bristol sports clubs have done uh, subsequent. subsequent. Um, so I'm very, very proud to be part of all that and that, that legacy, if you
0: like. Excellent. And you said there's something which interests me, which is you don't seek or particularly like the limelight. Why is that? I, I, I like
2: people to judge me on my own performance, really. So, you know, you, you look at Hargis and you see what it's done. Yes, I've been an integral part of developing that business over many years, and you know, founded it with Peter. Um, you know, your judgment of that is is more is more valuable to me than, than me telling you how good it is. Um, and uh, so, I've always been I like, I like to let me talk sort speak for themselves. Uh, is, is my approach. But uh, you know, what I will find is what I will do is is um, you know, when I need to get out there and say something or do something, I would well go and do it because you can't sit back and let other people do it for you In building the business you know it's up to you nobody else is going to do it for you you know so when you're stuck there at 10 o'clock at night and you've still got a couple of hours work left to do you've got to get on and do it because nobody else is going to come in and do it for you and uh, i think that's the difference between if you like a, a big company executive who gets on to run the business suppose to somebody who builds a business when you build a business it's 24 hours a day seven days a week and you never stop thinking about it or being part of it um whereas if you get appointed to a position and of course it's other it's other people's money it's other you know it's, it's a different type of uh, pressure like but it's yeah you know, entrepreneurs build businesses that's, that's the way i would look at it as opposed to you know, entrepreneurs don't go in and run businesses you know, that's other people come in and do that entrepreneurs build the business in the first place
0: do you think that um, an individual needs an IFA or do you think that they should take time to understand how to manage their own money and investments?
2: Um, both is the answer because I think uh, an IFA, um, this probably will upset a lot of IFAs, is that what they're there to do is handhold um, more than anything else. A lot of IFAs will try and, you know, I mean, they are experts in their field, so I don't want to and, and, and Undermine their ability, but the the reality is that most people out there want some guidance They Want to be able to talk to somebody, and that's what that's the vital service that the IFA provides. So um, you know it, it's it's important that uh, that service is there. But actually, um, people do, do owe themselves the um, uh, owe themselves the, the fact that they should actually know what they're doing. They shouldn't just rely on what the IFA says. They say, well, that's right. I'll do it but they should understand what they're doing and why they're doing it because in my experience is most people fall out of things when they don't really understand what they're doing they've been told this is a great idea they put the money in and then when it goes wrong they don't understand why it's all wrong um, you've got to understand why you're putting the money in there what the basis your return on investment is going to be um, and it's actually, you know what your exit is and um, so uh the IFA has a part to play, but certainly the, it's your money It's vital to you. You should look after it. And, uh, again, that's again something I'm very proud of that, you know, Hargis Lansing has achieved over the years. It's, it's educated an awful lot of people. And, the, and, and particularly with the, the app now and the websites and everything else we've had over the years, the information that we provide is, you know, of best quality uh,
0: and people can read
2: it, understand and make their minds of what they want to do.
0: Well, it's certainly helped me invest my own money and um, understand investing in funds and the, the many stocks that are out there and the, the sort of, it, I always felt like investing would be really hard and complicated, but it definitely simplified it for me. So I'm, I'm very grateful and I've been investing in my ISA every year and um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a great service. So it's, um, it's lovely to talk to you today, Stephen, because I think what you do, uh, what you've done with... Um, Hargreaves Lansdowne is very important because I strongly believe people should educate themselves on investing and managing their money. And um, like you said, if if you don't know what you're doing and you give it to someone else to do, well, how do you know if they're doing the right thing? So um, so I just want to say thank you for the service you provide since 1981.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Um, It's been a pleasure.
0: (laughs) Right. So now we're going to move on to...
2: I was going like to say, you're absolutely right. people should understand what they're investing and why they're investing and learn as much about it as possible.
1: You know, Educationally
2: in this country, we haven't spent enough time educating the younger generation about investments. So if the app and, and, and the information put out there can help them do that, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a good service.
0: Great. I fully agree. So um, next round then. So we're going to change the tax somewhat. And these are um, listeners or subscriber questions. So I've taken a few. We'll see. I might not be able to answer them all. Uh, sorry, ask them all, but we'll see. <laughs> so this one is from Jeanette Linford, who's one of my clients. She's fantastic. And she's asked, what's the key to longevity in business, both for the business itself and for you as a business leader?
2: Ah, uh, um, I think for, for, for me, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, if I look back over my history now it's i i i seem to have the ability to just ability um i want to see the i want to make sure that uh, i i, I you know, talk about investment I, I look after my clients was you know, in, in the right way for the long term i think in general terms it's not being it's not being greedy to you know everybody's ambitious I, i'm not gonna say i'm i haven't been ambitious and i didn't have dreams of uh, 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 of, of, of making lots of money going forward and the development of a successful business i think uh if you like my success and uh, how answered success was that we 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 believed in ourselves um that we could do the right thing um we, we stuck to our knitting um, all the way through uh, we didn't uh, go off our tangent and start thing into other things we stuck to our business which was, advising clients on investments and uh looking after those investments we didn't get in become a tech company um by selling our software to somebody else. we didn't uh, uh, um, go off investing into other businesses we stuck very clearly to what we we believed in and uh i guess continue to build that business and it's patience it's having that patience to do it and um i'm a firm believer if you do things the right way it will everything will come right eventually um, and I think we did that. We went through some very tricky patches, obviously, with what happened in the, in the stock markets. Um, and uh, you know, we're going through a very tricky patch now with, 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 with the coronavirus scenario. Having said that, it's in a very good position because of the fact that people need, still need to invest and will need to save even more for the future. Um, but the longevity side of it, I think, is is is, is not to be impatient uh, and, and to be honest, not try and make a quick buck out of it. Um, in, you know, because you're going to have to invest back into, you invest time, effort, and money into this. Um, and uh, you know, set your goals. Um, that's important as well. That where you where you want to get to. Um, and uh, but enjoy it. Obviously the other thing I would say is that you know if if it's not an enjoyable moment, you know, I, I, I've never regretted any 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 decision I made with within the business or any business since. Right? I love getting up in the morning and getting on with work um and doing things, do a bit more of my own time as opposed to having to do it at certain times as I did when I was building the business um these days. But it's it's, it's that principle. You you go in you have to and you have to deal with you know you've got to deal with the bad stuff as well. Peter used to have this expression which I like actually he said so, you know, you have your, your part of work to do and then, and they're and too hard to do I keep sticking down to the bottom. And you, you, you should take that one out first and put it on top and deal with it and get it out of the way. And that is the thing. Don't, don't hide problems, deal with it. And this is a message.
0: Great. So the next one is from Lynn Smith and she's asked, quite a long one, but I think it's a good one. I have the faith that I'll become more financially wealthy, but when I share my desires and dreams, I'm often told I'm crazy or deluded. Has this ever been your experience? Did you ever doubt yourself? And how did you handle it?
2: Yeah. Um, sounds a bit big-headed, so I never doubted myself. I always believed, uh, bearing in mind that when we did start the business, um, my wife was two months off producing my first child. Um, I worked out, I had a couple of thousand pounds in the building society at that time. And if it didn't work out, I'd have to go back into accountancy. So um, I, I believed I wanted. I was. I was um, determined to prove that I could make this business work um, and, and and take it forward, which history shows that worked. Now, um, uh, sorry, what was the be five? Professional member on the uh, key bit of it. Did you
0: ever doubt yourself, and how did you handle it?
2: Yeah, I think you. you, you there's always issues when you look. You're looking what's happening. Things outside of your Oh, well, I you know when you know the, the, uh, the Gulf Wars and take place but you then look back on history and that's where financial markets are very good there's a lot of uh, data that can guide you that' you know, show you what happened in the past and guide you to the future um it's just again from my point of view it was always that we we were never in debt to anyone I, I keep going back to this we never we were never beholden to anybody we didn't uh, you know we we, we we had the money there to pay our staff to, to run our uh, building, and, and we ran our business very tight of very tight shoestring if you like um investing back into the business rather than spending on anything uh superfluous and um uh we didn't you know we didn't do company entertaining um uh, we didn't waste money on that um people wasted it on us probably which was nice but um uh the reason we didn't do that is we didn't need to really because our clients were in yeah, private individuals um we had a lot of them uh, the way the system built up and developed uh, and you can't look at you can't take them all to um job meetings. so um the best thing is is just to provide them with a good service and um, get let them get the best out of what you're doing and, and, and benefit from that so i think it's really it's keeping control of your costs um being prepared to uh, invest, and when you're looking at an opportunity to expand your business, make sure you cost it out very carefully in your mind. Look at what you need to um, get back in, you know, return on income, to cover the to cover the cost of doing it, and make a make a good profit on it. And that's the one thing I would say in answer this: there's there's no harm in you know, there's nothing wrong in making a profit. I think sometimes that people look at things and say, well, you're making too much money. You must be doing something wrong." The, the, the reality is if you're making money, you're keeping your business going, you're paying your staff and you're looking after your clients. And that's, that's a very important aspect of it. If you're not doing that, you're going to make some bad decisions and probably your clients are going to suffer.
0: Great. Thank you. So this one is from Steve Chamberlain. Uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it slightly. Once you'd achieved success, he's put here multimillionaire status, but... Let's just imagine a point, Stephen, when when you know now you're pretty successful. What motivated you to keep going and get bigger and bigger and bigger once you're already pretty successful?
2: I think once you get to that stage, then unless you make a big mistake, um, and I've already alluded to the fact that we stuck to our knitting and we, we, we kept building the business within our, um, our, our framework, it was, it was, we, we knew where, what, we were do, what we did well, and we carried on doing it. We didn't try to do anything clever alongside that. And I think it just happens. You know, it's a snowball effect. You Get to a certain level, and, um, and in the Harvey's Lansing cases, the more clients you take on, the more assets and administration you, you take on, the more fees you do. So, uh, I think a lot of people couldn't understand why we, we were successful because you know we took a little bit of ink, a little bit of um, fee on. A lot, of, a lot of transactions, or, or a lot of a lot of funds. And then that bids up, builds up to a, a big number, um, and you that now with the numbers that, 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 that are there. It, 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 it's that culture of um, not not being too greedy, but taking a, this. I refer to it salami tactics: a slice here, slice there. Um, so you, you, people focus too much on, on on the overall thing, but. Um, that's what we found is that uh, you, you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and it just snowballs. Um, and if you've got, you know, when you if you're looking at any business opportunity, one of the things you have to look at is how scalable it is. Um, and our business, being the, you know, being private investors, um, investment business, you know, asset management, is scalable. There's a lot of people out there who. Have to, You know, we want to invest money, want to invest it wisely, want, to, want it done in a simple fashion. Um, and, and, and we met that need. And, and hasn't continued to be that need. It's, it, and it just continues to accumulate. Great,
0: yeah. right. Thank you. So this one's from Ben Taggart. Uh, and uh, I'm going to ask the question. He's got some points and then I'll probably re-ask it again. What do you think is the biggest factor to the level of success someone can achieve? Is it how much adversity they sustain, how much risk they take, how much work they put in, how consistent they are, or anything else? So I'll say again, what is the biggest factor that you've seen in success? Well,
2: those last two, you know, work, work. you've got to work hard. If you don't work hard, you don't get anything out of life. Um, and you've got to be consistent, um, because if you're not consistent, then you just do bits and pieces all over the place. And... Uh, you do perhaps do lots of things half well, but not not fully well. And you know, again, if you look at the history of HL, uh, we, you know, we just went. We, we we since we started in 1981 to where it is now. It's done exactly the same. thing. Um, yes, it's got bigger, and it's got better, um, and it's got more, technolo- more technology attached to it. But it's still the same principle. It's looking after its assets, assets. It's providing information back in business. Simple format. And every time analysts have asked me about how uh, I've said as long as it's doing that, it will be it will be it will be a good company, it will continue to grow. Um, I think the the the, um, the other thing aspect taking the, the risk taking is something that people make a big play of. I don't think you need to take big risks, you just need to take calculated risks. I mean every, every you know get up in the morning houses is a, is a calculated risk. And um, so I think the thing is, it, it's it, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to gamble um, recklessly in, in, in business. You just need to know why you're doing things. And 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 once you've decided to do something, go one hundred percent. Don't sort of think, well, maybe if I just do half yeah, I just I just with this and see what happens. Go for it because you won't find out when it works or not. If you don't do it. Put, put behind it. And uh, so, therefore, that, 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 you know, once you've decided on what you're doing, you, you judge the level of risk with all or everything you do, um, is, is, is go for 100% and work very, very hard at it and be consistent at it. And if it doesn't work, at the end of the world, you then say, OK, you make a decision, draw a line under it and make another decision, and go with that one. Don't try and do too many things at once.
0: This one is from Dimitri Ingeljosh. Forgive me, Dimitri, if i pronounced that wrong. Um, if you lost everything today, Stephen, and had to start again, but you have all your knowledge, what would you do? What kind of business would you start?
2: Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I probably wouldn't go back into financial services. Um, it's, uh, and, I, and I have to agree, because I'm, I'm now very uh, involved with a company called and Scott here in the, in the Channel Islands. But uh, it, it's because people need to save and it's, it, you look at any business where there's a necessity um, or, and if you look at the big tech companies like Amazon and so on, they've established that, uh, you know, people rely on them um, and the, the circumstances dictated. And I think there are businesses like retail, um, particularly the high street retail, where obviously technology is, was, was eating away at them anyway and then you've had something like the pandemic come along, which has really just spookered them completely. So I think it's got to be a business that you can, you can do online. Um, it's got to be a business that you can uh, do at a, 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 a relatively, I'd say not a very small margin, but a low margin, uh, which people are happy to pay, and, you, and, you, and it's got to be scalable. So everything comes back to this thing in front of us that we're talking into that says that uh, you know I can, I can speak to you wherever you are today, and uh, the message goes out, and uh, you can get that, you can get your orders back to me, and I can deal with them. And that's the I can say what business it is, but the financial services does that. You don't have to touch it, you don't have to uh, you know, feed it. You, you know, if you want to buy into um, X, Y, Z fund, you can do so. You can find the information on it. You can deal with it, and come of your own home and make that decision. And if I, if I provide that service for you, that's.
0: Now, I purposefully left this question for now um, so that you didn't just cut me off, Stephen. I had to address the whole pandemic, COVID. You know, you're a businessman. I'm a businessman. You employ staff. I employ staff. I've got a lot of people that rely on me. I've got my own views, but it's not about mine. But I'd like to ask you, do you think the government are doing enough and handling this situation well enough to support businesses and the economy?
2: Uh, so- plants no. Um I've you know I was thinking about obviously the before coming on and there's the, the pandemic has done two things. It's 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 killed a lot of businesses. Um and government action on the back of the pandemic has basically killed a lot of businesses. I'm seeing that in the sports side. Um some ridiculous situations that I am I'm I'm not getting i am I'm got any, any ticket sales. Um, therefore hospitality sales on good missions items as good it's, it's, it's a lot to make in situation until you make sides uh, hopefully that will be sooner rather than later but there are opportunities which is the online businesses and, and such like where you, you know you can do this so on one hand it's, 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 I spend a lot of time now um, if you like paying out my businesses or making sure that they're, 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 they're kept going for as long as possible and looking after the people that have serve me well in those businesses. Um, but there are opportunities which I'm hopefully they're going to like to take advantage of in, in this marketplace. So, but what, what really I think is, is from UK particularly is that the government really has needs to deal with the pandemic and how we sort ourselves out. It needs to lay down the, the guidelines and the rules. We all need to understand them. Um, it's questionable whether they are doing that. Um, I think they go from one crisis to another, it appears to me. There's no real leadership Going back to entrepreneurs, and, and the entrepreneurs lead their businesses. Um, nobody is really leading this government and, and this attack on the pandemic. But having laid out all those rules, you know, you've know, you got businesses who know what they're doing and how they're going to make money. So we should be left almost to our own devices to apply those rules and run our businesses on the back of them. Some of us might not be able to do that. Some businesses may not be able to Survive on the back of that. Um, a lot of businesses can. Great. Uh, we can. We can. For instance, we know we can put people into, into our stadium safely. Uh, not not for full capacity by any means, but we can put a certain number in. That we'll get an England team coming through which would be good for the morale of the people concerned and, and the nation as a whole. Uh, but we're not being allowed to do that. The daft thing is, I'm sorry, I got a tangent here, but the daft thing is, I you know I can, I can, eat my restaurants and serve them a meal, especially distance, but uh, the television, the game on the television in the in the lounge, they can't walk outside and sit in the stadium when there's twenty-seven thousand seats and spread out and watch the game live. I mean, that's a ridiculous situation. So, you know, I, th- I think there needs to be, um, there needs to be some clarity in, in what, what's happening, and I think they need to. Be put some trust back in the business to actually continue the, the, let the economy grow and, and to uh, live, with the, live with the pandemic and uh, live with uh, COVID-19 because it's here. It's not going to go away. Um, vaccine is what we're waiting for. But until it does, we need to be able to get on with our lives, really, and, and, and uh, maybe that is a risk. Um, but uh, I don't think governments are the ones that tell us how to Run our businesses and look after our staff. Mm-hmm. We should be able to do that ourselves, and the staff will tell us. If we get it wrong. Uh, they're not. They're not uh, unvocal these days.
0: <laughs> what's your biggest win and most epic fail in your business career?
2: Um, well, obviously, the, the biggest win was I think I probably found in the first place. It took forty years for what's. From where it is now. It's been a, a fantastic journey and, and the, you know, it's created massive wealth for me. That Beyond my expectations, going back to one of your earlier questions, really. I think within that, I think the uh, one of the best win points um, was when we set up Hargis Lands and Stockbrokers um, because we went to the, um, the exchange and we set it up. And that was after talking to a number of other brokers out there trying to do sort of joint ventures with them or Relationships with them to to provide the services for us or white label the services for us. We found, like most things in life, it's better doing it yourself rather than getting somebody else to do it for you. Um, But so we formed our stockbrokers and uh, it worked extremely well at the time for us because it allowed us to be registered care shops when the privatization boom came along um, and that generated revenue for us over the next decade. Um, But also, of course, we became members of the stock exchange, which uh, then floated itself uh, later. So, for a very small investment, I think it's something like two and a half thousand pounds to become a stock exchange and get the beach air, whatever it was at the time. And I think we, we, we probably sold it too soon, um, but we, we bought it so much half a million for it. Um, and that was a, a nice little win for in the business, really. But um, that was probably the, you know, the, we had a lot of successes along the way. Um, we were. we're it's a marketing-driven business, so you, you you're coming out with new ideas and new thoughts to, for, for investors all the time. Some of those were, you know, immensely successful. Did very well in the privatizations I said in the, in the 90s. So um, that, that's been very good. The, the development of the app made a major success for the business and exponentially rise over the last ten years, years or so. So it's yeah. um, that's been really really good. Failures. Um, right, Glad to say, not too many. Um, We've had one or two hiccups. um, The regulators, I think, uh, in modern times, don't really want to raise it. But it's there out there. You know, the the Woodford scenario, um, giving somebody too much, um, getting perhaps a bit too close to them, was You know, that's that's an issue. Um, you're independent. You you you've got to got to keep that independence very very strong. And um, and make those decisions. So I think um, you know. I mean, people would say possibly from a from a return on investment going into football was the biggest mistake I ever made. But I've got no regrets, and I've enjoyed every minute. Um, It's 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 a a fabulous business to be in, but it's extremely difficult to make money. I've no no regrets of investing into it. Um, The other. be a very small success, recent one. My um, uh, 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 ex-colleague, really, Mark in London, who managed money for me for, for some time, and eventually we basically retired and then packed it up. I wasn't working for him. We had this, this portfolio of very small companies um, that we'd, we'd, we'd had together. Um, so he, I took my shares out, and he took his shares out, and. Uh, we just, I just said to myself, well, I'll just, I'll just run with them and see what happens. And one of those um, companies was called Novasight, always called Novasight, um, which was absolutely nothing until COVID-19, right? Because it makes the test kits for Novasight. Wow. Uh, so it's gone, it, it, it's shot out of the, uh, capitalization, as I can tell you. But the thing with investment is, it's a, it's a, it is a long-term business. They say long-term investments is a short-term one gone long. Sometimes that's the case. (laughs) Um, Either cut your loss and get out and do something else, or you you, you sit with it and and monitor it in the moment. One of those where I've waited for the moment and it's come good, so I'm quite pleased.
0: Excellent. So now we're going to move into the quicker fire round, Stephen. Um, And we've introduced this new round, which is going down quite well. And if you don't like it, we can just blame this new round. But... It's the cheeky round. Um, And then we're going to move into the final quick fire. So um, first one is, what's the most expensive or opulent item that you've ever bought?
2: I I do have a private jet. So um, I I spend quite a lot of time in Africa. Um, I've got a couple of investments in lodges and and, and the conservation areas down there, which I'm a uh, passionate about so uh, yeah that's that's my most expensive uh, luxury
0: great and do you have any guilty pleasures that you don't normally tell people and maybe they're a bit embarrassing but we'd like you to tell us now
2: professor <laughs> <laughs> eh? um uh, I,
0: can't, I
2: can't really think of them really i mean i i, uh, I wouldn't call it a, Something I want to highlight. I like a drop of whiskey from time to time. I do enjoy champagne. So, yeah. But uh, I don't have any sort of uh, indulgences that uh, I, I keep to myself. and don't tell anybody else about. I'm a bit, bit, boring that way.
0: Well, that's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when you do research, Wikipedia, etc., has your net worth between 1.7 billion and 2 billion. Is that accurate?
2: The Hargreaves Anson's valued more like uh, six or seven billion at the moment, so depending on what the price is doing. Um, So uh, that's probably, that sounds like old information to me. So again, if you're doing research, make sure you get the most up to date information you possibly can. Mm And and actually go and ask, go to the horse's mouth and
0: ask the question. Get get the information. Exactly, exactly why I'm asking here. Um, what I've found when you research net worths of companies and individuals, they're nearly always wrong. So I like to ask, uh, you know, from the horse's mouth. So, yeah. OK, you thank go. you. What's the best advice and worst advice you can remember ever receiving?
2: Um, on the spot there. Sorry, I can't give you a quick answer. Um I think the, the the best advice is is always to. Well, I've, I don't know where it came from, but it's just been a over the years. We just understand everything that you're doing and why you're doing it. And probably the worst advice is when I didn't I didn't follow that advice in a, in a particular investment and lost a lot. Um, and uh, it was something I you know I keep kicking myself now. It's years ago it happened, but I didn't take the I didn't follow my own rules, and uh, probably influenced the fact that. Uh, friend of mine was recommending it, and I thought I'd help him out. So don't ever do that, the answer to this, that question. Make sure that you understand the investment and why you're doing it and do it for all the right reason, not just to help somebody out.
0: Is there anything that you strongly believe is wrong with the world that you'd like to change?
2: Um, yeah, I think there's two things. I think one, on a personal level, I think uh, there's, there's, there's too much... Um, uh, focus on wealth and celebrity status. Um, it, it, it's, um, I, I feel that you know, people that stuff in this bracket, of course, that have earned their wealth um, should be appreciated and respected and advice taken from them. I think uh, people often, once you get to a certain point, they don't want to knock you and, and bring you back down and don't want to, to get them on board. I mean, I think this podcast, for instance, is a great thing in a sense. It's given me the opportunity to, to answer questions and to talk, and it's great that you're taking the time to do so. Um, uh, I, I, the other thing I, I feel is that, we, you know, there is a you know, there's a great inequality across the world, um, which is probably a little bit contrary to what I've just said. Um, but it, but it, the fact is that we all, I think most people, the most people I've met that have been successful in business and anything else, do an awful lot to put me back into the communities and, and, and uh, around the world as well, in, into into needy areas. And that should be more appreciated. And all I would think, all I'd like to see is more joined up thinking. Every time I look at something, same, particularly in Africa, as I mentioned earlier, I do a lot there, there's a lot of people doing good things in Africa. They're all doing it in little bits and pieces. And there's no sort of concerted effort. And I think uh, um, the various charities and organisations ought to try and pull themselves together and, and work in a coordinated uh, uh, way to get the best for the, for the people and the communities they're trying to help.
0: Okay. If there was one person on this planet alive today that you would absolutely stop everything to watch and listen to, um, imagine that I got them on my podcast and you are like, oh, that's my favourite person ever. Um, sorry, my wife. Sorry, my children. I'm listening to this. Who would it be? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, well, I hear him a lot, of course, because he's very popular. And that, David Attenborough is the person I would advise uh, in that regard. I mean, what he's done for conservation and what he's done for the, the, just our education in the, in the natural world is, is phenomenal. Um, I have to say that every time I watch one of uh, Life on Earth or whatever, I do tend to fall asleep. <laughs> but uh, you know, he is a person you, you know when when he speaks, you listen to. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, long may that continue, um, because he he's always he to reason in, in a, in a, in a, quite a muddled world. So, um, he, he's the person I've been for
0: So, um, I think he's a, an amazing person as well, Stephen. And, um, he's the person that's, uh, given me the nicest decline ever. So normally, you know, obviously we, we, reach out to a lot of people and there's a lot of people we'd love to have on this show that can't do it for their reasons, but he wrote a, a lovely, warm, handwritten letter, basically saying, I love your show and idea. It, it pains me and shames me to say that I won't be able to make it on the show, but please keep doing your good work. Um, and yes, yeah, so he gave me the best rejection letter I've ever had. We are still trying to get him on the show. And actually, he, he has inspired me to um, try and be more careful. Y- you know, we don't we've got rid of all disposable plastics in the company. We have the reusable stuff. I'm trying to make sure I um, so uh, when I have protein drinks and I make sure that they're plant based and I'm trying to eat less meat. I'm not I can't quite go fully vegetarian yet. But um, yeah, I, I think he is an amazing man. So I'd agree with that. Uh, good. Uh, yeah. right. uh, final one. So thank you for doing this, Stephen. Really grateful to you. The final one. This podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. And I always ask every guest the same question, which is. What does disruptive mean to you?
2: Well it means i'm set in the equilibrium. Um and uh, if, you, if, if I go back to you know Harvey's Lansing was a disruptive business um because it disrupted the the, in, the fund management business, it disrupted the uh, wealth management business as it was in the early eighties. Um it it, uh, it brought forward to the to the to the investing public, especially the private investor, the opportunities to invest in Uh, opportunities they weren't getting before, um, but also to educate in in, in a simple way. So, um, you know, Amazon, when it started, was a disruptive business, it disrupted the the retail market. Um, And uh, so something which just changes your your, your fundamental way of doing something Um, and uh, and it's successful, it does it for the better.
0: Thank you, Stephen. Do um, do you do any um, commentary on social media? Is there anywhere people can follow you? I know you sort of balked when I said, "Do you have a book?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you said, oh, "I'm not going down that road." But um, if we want to follow your work, where can we go?
2: Well, I am on Twitter. And that's the only thing I am on, um, and you'll find it at Stephen Lansdowne. But the end bit off there's a one. And that's because when I <laughs> I'm not very tech minded. So when I was typing it in, I mis, mis- hit the
0: key and put one in. I don't want to change it. So that's, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> so
2: Stephen Land's now won.
0: And just on that note, just to finish off, why didn't you ever write the book?
2: Well, I said earlier that I, 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 I don't seek publicity and I just never feel that people wanted to, would want to read anything about uh, what I did, really. I've done what I've done. It's there, it's, put, it's in the record books. Um, and also, the other thing, if I write a book, then nobody's going to, going to read it because they want to see either the, the secrets of the success, which is absolutely fine, and get them involved with sport, it does tend to be a question well, who's he going to criticise? I don't want to be in that marketplace.
0: Stephen, I'm very grateful for you taking this hour of your time. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Um, I just think what you've done is fantastic and I've loved listening to you.
2: Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure to join you Rob, thank you very much.